You've read or heard or preached the scripture this week. Now what? Join me, Pastor Carissa, and my colleague, Pastor Alan, as we explore the spaces between the Sundays in our podcast, Soft Idolatry. Welcome to Season 4, Episode 12 of Soft Idolatry. Carissa, how are you this fine morning? I'm doing okay. It's uh, a little bit sunnier than it's been. The sun is coming up earlier and setting later, and it's supposed to be warm enough to go out for a walk today, so I'm doing all right this morning. How about you? Well, yeah, I'm, I am I have similar thoughts, though you never know which sidewalks are actually going to be clear when you go out for that walk. That's a fair point. And when I'm walking a 75-pound bulldog, I need to watch out for the icy bits. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you, you will get dragged across I the ice. You <laughs> will get slid across the ice, that's for sure. Um, and yes, I, I am enjoying the sun, and uh, I have a big empty field right across from my porch, which I can see from where I'm sitting, and it's all covered with snow, so it's nice and bright, and you know, it's not the... It's not the ugly gray and black snow of parking lots and streets. Uh, it's, it's you know, snow-colored snow. Snow-colored snow. I feel like that could be a corny Christmas song. Snow-colored snow. Or, or a Wallace Stevens poem that no one quite understands. <laughs> yeah, that works too. Um, we'll have a competition. I'll write a corny Christmas song called Snow Colored Snow. You write a poem called Snow Colored Snow. We'll see which one becomes more popular. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm waiting for somebody who listens to our podcast to know who Wallace Stevens was. So, you know. <laughs> so, uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you do know who Wallace Stevens is, please... Was. Uh, it was, sorry. Get us a message at uh, info at softidolatry.com. Let us know. <laughs> or hit us up on Instagram. Yeah. So, um, at some point, we should probably get around to talking about what the podcast is about and not just uh, snow. Well, you're not preaching this week, as I recall from our conversation, but I am. Correct. Yeah, I'm I'm uh, off from preaching this week. My student intern will be preaching. Uh, what are you preaching on, though? Well, I've got, uh, this is one of those rare weeks where I had a sermon idea on Monday. What? Yeah. You got spooky oh. music? It's a little cliched there. Uh, no, so... Uh, oh, that's rich. <laughs> Coming from you. <laughs> my my sermon title is Jesus and a Gun. Jesus and a Gun. That seems like a bit of a uh, misfit there. Uh, yes, it is. Um, it, it's, it's a question that got raised to me uh, when I was leading a vacation Bible school session about not quite five years ago at my first church and we were doing some curriculum on the passion and the empty tomb and uh, a little girl who was not from our congregation asked me after I read the lesson for that day why didn't Jesus just get a gun and shoot the bad guys what an American response. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I'm going to say it's not just American, but... No, it's what, not just American. What, um, but but a, a response that's steeped in American movie and TV culture. Uh, yes, yeah. It, re, 
a response that uh, is steeped in a culture that believes in redemptive violence. And also uh, a culture that is very unaware of the Christian story. And, and maybe even, you know, there's kind of two sides to that, that particular misunderstanding of, of Christian being, um, so to speak. There's either, either the, you're a Christian, so you should be nice enough to let me run all over you, or we're Christians and we need to stand up for our American Christian rights, damn it. Um, and pay retribution to whoever harms us. Yeah, that, that's true. But I, I think there's just a, a fundamental... Um, the, the, those are like second-level concerns. And this is sort of a... Um, just a complete ignorance of, of the story and the message. And, and yes, we're talking about a young child here... I don't know, she might have been seven or eight, maybe nine years old tops. And, um, you know, uh, there's the obvious historical thing. Well, there were no guns in Jesus' day, so. <laughs> um, and, and obviously she is too young for a long lecture on the, um, the different political factions in Judea in the first century and how, how Jesus was not going to be co-opted by the zealots who wanted to revolt, nor by the Pharisees who wanted to spiritualize everything so that they could, uh, you know, whatever. Uh, it, it, it's obviously that wasn't the place for that. And, and of course, there were other kids to tell her, oh, no, they didn't have guns then. <laughs> but but the idea that um, God is doing this thing and this thing is to transform the sinfulness of the world and to absorb, and I don't want to go too deep into penal substitutionary atonement theory because <laughs> who needs that on a Tuesday morning? Fair enough. So I think what I hear you saying is um, what you sensed in that moment was both a, a, like a literal misunderstanding of the story and the context of the story, but also an understanding of the greater story arc of the Christian faith and tradition. Yeah, it, it it's absolutely that. And I, I, I have spent enough time in churches in the last... 10, 12 years of my life, uh, especially since seminary, I, I have spent enough time hearing the hand-wringing of congregations complaining about youth sports or uh, a hostile culture or a culture that has changed or, uh, or, and in particular, a culture that does not value the church and organized religion in the way that it used to. And it's all about why have these people outside of the church changed? Why aren't they coming back inside of our building? Yeah, and I would argue too that, um, you know, let's say we look back to the glory days of the 
50s or 60s or so. I would argue that even then, while people valued the church differently than they do now, there was still some sort of fundamental misunderstanding of what the value of the church was. Because for a lot of folks, it was the social club. Yeah, it's certainly, um, you know, club... Clubs can be good and bad. There, there was certainly a lot of good, positive, healthy socialization that, that went on. And also you have a, a society that, you know, has, goes through the Depression, the Second World War, and the baby boom, and the move to the suburbs. So you have just lots of reorganization, and you have lots of kids, and... Uh, new churches get built in the suburbs, they build new Sunday school wings, and they have all these kids to fill up the Sunday school wings. And they were in a position that they did not have to ask the deeper questions about their own existence. Yeah, yeah. And that's not to say that, like, everyone who was part of the church during the big church boom way back was like in it for the wrong reasons or anything, right? There was, there have always been faithful folks who are there for exactly the right reasons. But I think we need to be careful when we're making, um, com- you know, comparisons of the number of just the number of people that are there. I don't think that means that the church is valued in the way that it should be differently. I, I agree with you. There's, there's just, and this is something we see throughout the history of the church, this misunderstanding of what the story and the point and the value of it is. Yeah, and so I think that it is our role, uh, and and I'm sure you agree with this. It is our role to to teach the story better, uh, to yeah. teach more effectively, and sadly to undo lots and lots of bad teaching too. Yeah. So let's let's take a minute and talk about what that bad teaching might be like where where why why are these misunderstandings happening what is the root of this well there's long been a glorification of suffering Mm. um you know i can show you how faithful i am because i've suffered more for my faith or this suffering is just part of my testing and trials and uh so that's that's an obvious answer. You know, we certainly, uh, let, let me give you a completely secular version of this. Before I went to seminary, I worked at a consulting company and we did IT consulting and we did a lot of training projects and things. And it was not uncommon uh, if we had a deadline that we had to push something out to a client, that we would stay late at the office to get it out. And it was not unheard of to be in the office until 8 or 9 o'clock, sometimes 10 or 11. And, uh, you know, the, the company was cool about it. Nobody, uh, if, you, if you stayed crazy late working on a project, no one expected you to be in the office at 8.30 the next morning. And we all sort of wore that as a badge of honor. Instead of saying, oh, this company is horrible and abusive, uh, everybody just took it as a sense of pride that, yeah, I did my job. And we identified with that. I, I absolutely loved that job. And 
loved my coworkers, and it was it was a bonding experience of sorts. But it was probably not the healthiest and most productive thing either. Right. Yet yet we we celebrated that as part of our our identity and. Uh, we, it was a way to celebrate our own loyalty to the company, um, you know, and, and, and the team. And so I think that very often um, individuals who are Christian can, uh, can make a fetish of their own suffering, whether it is something that they did for the church or some some unhealthy aspect of their own personal lives that uh you can say oh well we all of us have each of us has our cross to bear and this is mine and i just have to deal with it and and it actually becomes an excuse that lets you not deal with it yeah. And you know what? We're, so we're a week into Lent now, too, almost. Right. And, um, you know, it's interesting. I haven't seen enough of the woe is me. I'm suffering for Lent posts as I often do this time of year. I don't know if you've noticed that as well. Um, and I did see one article that talks about, you know, we've been in Lent for a year, basically. Like, we just never left Lent <laughs> last <laughs> yeah. year. Like, that's a real fair point right there. Uh, we're all fasting from going to restaurants and movies and <laughs> all of that stuff we really want to do. Um, actually, I don't want to go to movies because now that you can watch new stuff on HBO Max at home, I'm never going to movie theater again. But that's neither here nor there. Um, but yeah, you get this during Lent many years, many years where people are, you know, hey, if you need me, text me. I'm going to go off social media for Lent, social media fast for Lent. And there's like this huge announcement ahead of time, you know, <laughs> the suffering that, you know, you're all you're all going to miss me so much while I'm not on Facebook for 40 days. Um, oh, oh man, you just you just reminded me of a story from seminary. Is it the cookie story? It is the cookie story. <laughs> I think we've told that on the podcast we, we have before, told so that we on should definitely spare people of the cookie story. Um, go back to to last year during Lent if you want to hear the cookie story. I am sure we told it. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's it's the uh, you know uh, do do not. Um, it's, it's the math you want about, you know, do, do not... Uh, Don't look miserable and Like whine. the hypocrites do, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you're right, there is a, there's an amount of that. And, uh, and kind of this almost sometimes denial of the fact that suffering hurts or that we don't, you know, like this denial that we don't like it. Because um, you'll, you know tell someone, oh, I'm really sorry you're going through that. And they'll be like, well, it's my cross to bear. You're like, no, it sucks. That's the broken world beating you up. And I'm trying to, you know, walk beside you here. Um, yeah, so that's a, I think that's an, a, a good place. And that does not look appealing to the outside world, right? What is up with these weirdos and their pain fetish? Yeah. Yeah. And, and then also, um, we can... When we when we turn suffering into a noble art, it lets us off the hook for other change that needs to happen. Um, you know, this is this is the or, or or it lets us stay in an antiquated worldview 
that um, that we know that there's painful change out there, and if we just say, oh, well, we need to suffer, then we don't make the painful yet healthy change. Um, for instance, if a pastor has an antiquated view about marriage and forgiveness, he, this is you know, particularly true of men who are pastors, he might say to a woman who is in his congregation who is a victim of uh, domestic abuse, no, no, you need to forgive him and stay in the marriage. Such a familiar story. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm wondering then, what are, what are some, are there, what are the other misunderstandings or miscommunications? I'm thinking... Uh, particularly about the idea that the Christian faith is, um, and this is a misunderstanding I would argue within the pews as well, that um, it, it's all about getting this like the magical ticket to heaven. Yeah, I, and I think that's, um, you know, the... <laughs> Please, please, why, why, do, why do you have to bring me back to penal substitutionary atonement theory? <laughs> so, sorry, I, that's just where this went. No, um, no, but, but it is, you know, if we, if we just reduce Jesus' experience to dying on the cross for our sins, then it says, okay, everything's good for us, and... Uh, we're, we don't have, you know, we, we don't have to do anything more. And that's not exactly it. Uh, it's never been about working your way in, but rather, uh, one of the things that the cross shows us and necessarily so is when you push back against the world, when you work to make the world as God would have it, the world pushes back even to the point of violence. Interestingly, I think this connects to the idea of um, suffering as a, a way of piety, almost. You know, like it, it's all about working your way in and being good enough to count in what Jesus did. I think that maybe uh, for the week of, of Holy Week, we should do a podcast on some of the atonement theories. Because I think hmm. a lot of people, so this is part of this misunderstanding here, right? A lot of folks don't realize that there are multiple theologies mm -hmm. of atonement. There are multiple ways to view what happened on Good Friday or or the, the focus of it. Um, you know, you even have... Uh, different views on um, did God choose to send Jesus before sin or because of sin? Was it a reaction or did God always intend to be with us in that way? Um, and so that might be an interesting exploration to have during Holy Week. But I really do think a lot of this comes down to a misunderstanding of salvation. Yeah, I agreed. Um, that it, we make it a one-time event. Uh, mm -hmm. just as we make repentance a one-time event. And uh, these are all ongoing processes. Uh, salvation is a process that we, we are participants in that process. And mm -hmm. we work to remake creation as God would have it, 
not as conditioned to get into this state of salvation, but as an act of covenant faithfulness. We're part of this promise. We are obligated to live into our part of the covenant. Right. And to to maybe move this into another misunderstanding, too, we tend to view it as individual, not communal. Mm-hmm. Um, are individuals saved? Yes. <laughs> um, but the whole community needs to be redeemed and saved as well. And so, and this goes into so many aspects of this, right? Um, we talk about personal relationship with Jesus, but we don't talk about the community's relationship with Jesus. Um, we talk about individual congregations revitalizing, but we don't talk about how we're all interconnected with one another, even outside of our own denomination, right? And so we tend to make it like this. It, it's all about me. I'm worried about me, and you should worry about you and do this to fix you, but not how do we fix the community together. Right. Uh, we are we are so good at pointing out the uh, transgressions of our neighbors, um, mm-hmm. the unfaithfulness of our neighbors. And uh, it, it really, you know, so often one of the things that is lost in translation is the version of the word you. Um, we 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 hear it as a second person singular when it's actually a second person plural in many cases mm-hmm. um, where Jesus is talking to a crowd of people and you know the, the crowds man if you for those of you who didn't go to seminary anytime you see the crowd mentioned in a gospel pay very close attention to what Jesus is saying. He is speaking to everyone in those places. Yeah, he's talking to y'all, not just you. (laughs) (laughs) Correct. Yins, not just you, for those in Pittsburgh. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or or for those of us with Pittsburgh in our hearts. That's true, yeah. Pittsburgh runs through your veins, even though, yeah. Um, So there's a lot of misunderstandings, but I think... I think those are some of the fundamental ones. It's, it's not just about the individual. It's about the community. It's not, um, it's not about your suffering or your goodness or piety or working your way into it. It's about Christ's goodness. And when we focus on that, that changes our whole perspective. It does. It, it's not just about... Um our own individual spiritual purification during Lent. It's about moving into that beloved kingdom. It is about coming together in a collective fashion to transform the community. And that's, I mean, I've, I've been preaching this, and I know you have too. That's why we have to get out of the church. We have to get out of the church and meet people where they are. And we have to meet people like that little girl from Vacation Bible School and people like her parents. And instead of getting up on a bench and preaching to them, we need to sit down at table with them and listen. We need to learn to speak their language so that we know how to translate our language to them. 
Yeah. The best way to learn any language is to listen to, I like, I love learning languages as some of you know. And so I listen to podcasts in German and in Spanish um, to help with that. I watch, uh, there's some shows on, on Netflix and Hulu and the like in German and Spanish. And so I try to watch some, some TV and movies in those languages because in order to communicate with others, um, how dare you expect them to walk in and, and immediately learn your language if you want to build relationship with someone? Why would they, you know, want that? Um, it's much more effective and relationship building to listen and to learn to speak in another language. And that doesn't mean that you are letting go of your convictions. That doesn't mean that you are letting go of what scripture says. It just means that you're learning to say it in a different way. All of our, all theology is, is the language in which we express our understanding of, um, the universe and, and God and humanity, you know, so it, it's okay to learn a new language, a new way of state of expressing that. I, I would, I would go a step farther and say that it is necessary to learn new languages. Yeah. I think, I think for some folks though, we need to just give permission to do it first before we say you have to. <laughs> Not everybody is at the point where they're ready to say we have to do this and that's okay. Um, but I want to encourage folks to do it, you know, mm -hmm. it go to, um, a church from another tradition and learn how they're expressing it. You're going to get a very different experience in a black Baptist church than you are in a white Presbyterian church. Um, you're going to get a very different experience in the United States than you are in Europe or Africa or South America. Um, so go and, and listen to some others. Go and listen to some other faith traditions entirely. Go to synagogue once, mm -hmm. one Shabbat. Go to, go to um, the, the mosque one day. Go visit... Um, if you happen to be lucky enough to be traveling somewhere, there's a Baha'i garden or Baha'i temple, go there, you know, like check out some other places and, and talk to folks and learn how they how they express their faith as well. Um, I'm not saying go go everybody and convert to Hinduism, but learn about it. <laughs> yes, le learn about it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I just went on a borderline universalist rant there. Yes. <laughs> I'm going to dial yes, that did. back a little bit for a moment. <laughs> I do think we should all be Presbyterian in an ideal world, but we don't live in an ideal world. We we don't. So so we'll 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 settle for Presbyterian with a lowercase p. <laughs> uh with with good polity and sound doctrine. <laughs> Yes. Uh, yes. But yeah, no, I, I, I have, um, I, I think all of the time we find ourselves as pastors butting our heads against bad teaching of the past. And uh, sometimes we can get so frustrated that we see nothing but the bad teaching. Uh, and we also get wrapped up in where we are at the moment and not what our congregations necessarily need to hear. Uh, we're, we're, not, um, we're not immune to the uh, sin of self-absorption. 
Speaking well, for I'm myself. Not, I'm not, but I'm perfect, so. <laughs> <laughs> you're not immune to the scene, I am immune. but you're, yeah, but you're I am perfect per- because you don't I'm have also, it. <laughs> I'm not, I am not immune to imperfect uh, sentence structure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think it comes down to listening, and the church has not historically done that well. And, and I mean, people, humanity, right? I'm not just knocking on the church. Sometimes it feels or maybe feels like I, we, I am hard on the church, but I'm hard on the church because I love the church and I think it's important and I don't want to see it wisp away to nothing. Correct. And I think we, we lead congregations where we have uh big gaps in our membership in terms of ages of people and uh the people who are there have just been blindsided by these changes even as they have watched the changes happen they've been blindsided and there has not been um in, in many of our congregations there has not been a sustained effort to understand the people who aren't there the people who are no longer there and the people who had no idea that they were there uh that the church was there and they they've been feeling it for a long time but whether they've had um maybe a good pastoral relationship where they felt comfortable or they had enough people and enough money that they didn't see the need to make the changes. In the last 10 years, many congregations have hit that wall where they have finally dropped below water. Um, they're still, you know, they still have money coming in. Uh, they're still paying their bills, but they are draining their endowments and memorial funds to balance the books. And and now all of a sudden, the panic has set in. Yeah. And I also, along the, the same lines, I want to say too, when we say things like this, when we challenge congregations and individuals and the church as a whole, this is not a judgment of you as an individual sister or brother. And, and I've been accused of that in the past by people. Um, not necessarily on the podcast, but in, in other ways. Um, but as pastors, our call is to encourage you to grow. And that is often uncomfortable. So we understand that these are uncomfortable challenges, but they're also not us saying congregations who are living off of endowments and memorial funds right now because you haven't figured out the language around you or you haven't figured out how to communicate to those around you this isn't us saying you suck (laughs) this is this is us encouraging you that there there is a light there is a way and we have to grow we have to figure out how to grow yeah i think that i think that says it all and you know just a further reminder that the we are we are absolutely not saying you individual you suck we are saying you collective you the church needs to change and um and 
yes, you will get some some happy, positive, uplifting messages, but damn it, this is Lent. <laughs> it, You'll it, get those during Eastertide, though. For the yes. next few weeks, you're going to get doom and gloom, repent, yes, and exactly, turn. <laughs> exactly. This is Lent where we focus on all of the things that we need to do to change. And, exactly. Um, you know, just, just listen. Yes. Sit through the uncomfortable spaces and listen. Also, think, talk, discuss this with your friends, with your church family, especially. Read, study, learn, family. meditate. <laughs> yes. All of these things because it's Lent. There are wonderful rhythms to the year in church life. Rhythms that uh, can be sustaining, that can help structure your life inside and outside of the church, and help you recognize larger patterns. And if you learn these and understand the value of them, you will eventually be able to communicate the value of those things to people outside of the church. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's also something very um, appealing and invitational about a community that is learning and growing and changing and practicing together. And that's what we are inviting people into. We are not inviting people into not hell. <laughs> we are inviting people into robust community that learns and grows together. That's what we're meant to be. That is the witness we see in the early church in Acts and um, other parts of the, the New Testament. Um, that is, you know, when we see congregations that are vital and doing well, that is that is why it's it's not because they're giving the, the well, sometimes it is, but it's not because they're giving the most scary turn or burn sermons. Um, it's because they're doing community well and they're practicing mm -hmm. together. Yeah, no, no, no church got big by offering fire insurance. Well, not no church, but in few churches. History, yeah, <laughs> there once upon a time that was actually a fairly effective tactic. I'll argue whether it, I, it's another argument for another day, whether it was uh, faithful or not, but it was effective at one time, but it's not anymore. So don't do it. Well, I think we have pretty much summed it up, and I think we might be able to wrap. Carissa, would you like to pray us out? I would love to pray us out. Friends, let's pray. God of all, we thank you for, um, for community. We thank you for our sisters and brothers who we can learn and grow and change together with. We thank you for the church and all of its baggage. And we pray that you would help each of us to um, be a part of dropping the baggage and moving forward in new and exciting ways. We pray all these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ, by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Would you care to share a blessing? Beloved, remember Christ's call to community. Work individually and collectively to build community. Do not return evil for evil to any person, but know that we are all loved by God and that we are all called to reflect that love to everyone we meet. 
Go forth and be the salt of the earth and the light of the world, and let all God's children say, Amen. Amen. Hey, we've got some great holidays coming up this week. Tomorrow, uh, Wednesday the 24th, is National Dance Day. So I will be um, sharing some terrible dance moves with the world. And then Thursday is Pancake Day. It gets better. Friday is Bacon Day. And Saturday is Polar Bear Day. So... Oh, come on. Pancake Day was a week ago. I know. I thought that was kind of funny, too, but I'm okay with it. it. Well, it's also if Pancake Day doesn't work for you on Thursday, that's the day where I move my bonsai seeds into the refrigerator. That's also marked on my calendar. Bonsai! Bonsai! Yeah. We'll see if they actually grow or not. It's uh, it's an interesting experiment for an Enneagram 7. I would like for them to be trees today, not six months from now. Mm-hmm. You're supposed to give the Pat Morita, not bonsai! Bonsai. <laughs> oh, sorry. I'm not that. Yeah. You're not enough from the 80s to, to have Karate Kid committed to memory? Correct. I mean, I've definitely seen Karate Kid. Um, and I even watched a couple seasons of Cobra Kai. But don't have it memorized. I'm sorry. I'm a disappointment to okay. our entire generation. You'll have to atone for that during Lent. I will... <laughs> What are you giving up for Lent? I'm giving up not watching Karate Kid every day. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for joining us on Soft Idolatry. For show notes and more information, check out our website at softidolatry.com. To send us questions or comments, you can email us at info at softidolatry.com. And if you'd like to help support this podcast, please become a patron at www.com patreon.com slash softidolatry. That's Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.